Thank you. You can be seated. Well, high up in the mountains of the Swiss Alps, there was a village. And this village was fed by a stream. Now the stream, it was the source of the village's life. The stream fed it, it was like it was fed by waters that were deep and as the sea and old as the earth. The water was crystal clear and children laughed and played at its banks. Geese swam on it and you could see the rocks and the sand at the bottom and where the rainbow trout were swarming. High up in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man. He was the keeper of the stream. He had been hired so long ago now that no one could remember when he wasn't there. And he would travel from one spring on the hill to another, removing the branches that would fall and the leaves and the debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council convened, and they had better things to do with the money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair, taxes to collect, and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen streamkeeper had just become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post high up in the mountains. The springs went unattended. Twigs and other things, branches, and even worse, muddied the liquid flow. For a time, no one in the village noticed But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish, and the swans flew away to live somewhere else. The water no longer had that crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people began to even feel ill. All of them noticed that something had been lost, that beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the stream... The life of the stream depended on the keeper. So the city council reconvened. Money was found. The old man was rehired. And yet another time, the springs were cleared. The stream was pure. Children played on its banks. And illness was replaced by health. Swans came home and the village came back to life. For the life of the village depended upon the health of the stream. The stream is your soul. And you are its keeper. Dallas Willard said this about our souls. He said, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength and direction and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature. And all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. So this morning we come to our text, which is from Matthew chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. This is what the text has to say. Um, But it 
is one of the few recorded prayers of Jesus that we have. I, I didn't know if you knew this, but Jesus prayed a lot. Um, he probably prayed more than any other person ever. It says in the Bible that he would go off on his own to pray. He would find lonely places to pray, that he might pray all night on the mountainside alone. But we don't have very many of those prayers written down. In fact, we just have a few of them, and this is one of them. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I think about um, this text, I, uh, I have to say I thought of this movie, Baby Geniuses. Uh, it came out in 1999, and I thought it was really hilarious. It's a, it's a paradox, right? As Philip mentioned, babies are helpless, and they have to be changed. Um, they're incredibly dependent. Our three-year-old, uh, three-week-old baby girl, um, which I see in the back, is, uh, is dependent on us totally to feed her, dress her, clean her, move her around. And so the idea in this movie is that these babies are, are geniuses, are superhuman intellects. And I, and I found it always fascinating to me because children and babies... Um, are dependent on others, especially adults, but it actually, in their dependence, gives them some unique qualities that adults actually could learn from. Qualities like innocence and qualities like trust. Babies might not be geniuses yet, right? But there's a whole lot we can learn from them. In fact, Jesus seems to be pointing to children here. He says, I praise you, Father, for you have revealed these things to children in contrast to the wise and the learned. In, in many ways, Jesus is saying that kids get God better than PhDs in theology. Jesus has chosen to reveal God's self as a loving parent, a father in this way. And sometimes I think we envision our life with all these adult responsibilities, all these grand dreams, and it makes it actually more complicated than the vision God has for our life. God's vision may actually be much more childlike for you than you imagined. I, uh, I don't know about you, but I love New Year's, so um, I'm a glutton for New Year's resolutions. How many of you have already written down your New Year's resolutions list? A couple of you, all right, all right. Um, so some of us may be working on them on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or in June next year when we, uh, when we realize some of them have not gone so well. Um, a few years back, Forbes and the Irish Times did um, a ranking of five top New Year's resolutions that everyone makes. Um, and these are the five that they found. I, I thought these were interesting. Lose weight, that's kind of obvious. A lot of people look at that one. Be more of who you are. I thought that was like unique. You know, maybe, maybe that's a collection of, of New Year's resolutions that we want to be more of who we want to be. Um, number three, be more spontaneous. Uh, and number four, be a better listener. 
And then number five, I think, is in, con, you know, in conflict with number three, be a plan ahead versus be more spontaneous. Which is it? I don't know that we can make up our minds. Maybe we need to be more of who we are. Um, as I was standing in line getting something, I think, for Thanksgiving, I found a, a magazine that was by Time. It was a special edition of the Time magazine on habits. And as I was thinking about um, habits, there are a lot of good habits to add to our lives. Uh, habits about losing weight, habits to help us be more of who we are, habits that help us be more spontaneous. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the habits work with that, but I, I know of some. Creativity, I read about that a lot of times. There's, there's things that we need to do, discipline, that helps us then become more spontaneous. Um, there are habits about listening and listening to our family members, listening to children, listening to our spouses, listening to other people who speak differently than, than we often um, can understand. Um, as I, I was thinking about these books and, and uh, setting boundaries in my life and exercising more regularly, um, I, I wonder about, uh, about what Jesus might have to say about this list, this endless list of New Year's resolutions that I continually write down. Um, I brought a backpack with me just to kind of make an illustration. Um, so we'll see how this illustration works for you. Um, so I have this backpack, and I'm going to use it as an illustration for our life. So you are this backpack. In many ways, your life then becomes what you put into the backpack, right? You carry it around with you. So I have a set of books that I'm going to put into these backpacks. Um, the books are going to represent different aspects of your life that you add on, that become things you carry with you. So I have this book, as I mentioned, we have a three-week-old, three um, so we have a parenting book. So parenting is a burden, something that goes in my backpack. It adds to the weight. Um, I'm married, so I have a marriage book, um, adds to my burden. I got to keep the Lord of the Rings in here because I watch a lot of movies and entertainment, right? So there's a lot of fun involved. I, I have another book, a Jack Reacher book that my wife loves. So I add those two in because we watch a lot of TV. Um, probably need more than two books. Uh, I brought video game, um, StarCraft II, because let's face it, I play video games. I try and distract myself with things. Um, I brought a Bible. I hope God is a, something I carry around with me in my life. Um, Let's see, I've got games here, um, games, it's a book of youth ministry games, but like, I like to play sports or activities. You might have games in your life that you carry around. Uh, I'm into golf right now, so I'm trying to do 100 swings every day. That's something I'm adding to my life so that I, when I go and play the course, it's not as frustrating. Um, I have art here. Maybe there's some beauty that you try and capture. Maybe it's walks in nature, maybe going to the beach or going to the mountains, depending on what kind of person you are. Maybe it's a form of art that you actually practice. Um, if you don't know Barbara Rogue and her pottery, it's, it's a beautiful, amazing art. It takes a lot of time. She learns and, and hones her craft. And so you might have a craft that you're honing. Um, it's almost like this backpack can't contain all of this stuff. And as I hold this now, it's way heavier than it was when I first started. I could probably walk around the church building with this on, but if I was to walk, say, a mile or two miles, the, the length of, and the distance that we go in life, as I add to my burden, uh, life becomes much more difficult, slows me down. Um, 
And I, I just wonder if at this time of New Year's, as we're adding things, as we're thinking about um, different stuff, if we hear these words of Jesus who says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. A yoke would have been a wooden object used by farmers. Uh, if you've been to an old farm or maybe you've read the Little House on the Prairie books, uh, you might be familiar with what a yoke is. But the key to a yoke is getting the oxen or the cattle to work in step together, to walk in step with each other, to leverage their working. So Jesus is literally saying, when you walk in step with me, life is easy. And many times I think about the New Year's resolutions and just even in general my life, um, I'm yoking myself with other people. Um, and they make life a lot more difficult. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about your spouse or your roommate here living in the same place with them. I'm talking more about the expectations that you set on yourself. Um, you might see the success of friends on Facebook, right, or a celebrity that you read about in news, or just even people you see down the street as a kind of form of keeping up with the Joneses, as it were. Um, you might want to exercise, but do you really need to yoke yourselves with LeBron James or Serena Williams? Like, you're not going to be at their level, right? Um, in college, I took a basketball PE class, and the basketball teacher told us, as we all love to do, we'd get on the end line, and we'd do this pump, pump, and then fade and shoot. And he said, none of you are Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant has been in the gym for 20 years, working his tail off every day, um, and he's in the gym constantly, and he can pull off that corner jumper fade. You cannot. And so he was very, very key that we had to be stable and do the fundamentals of shooting in his basketball class because he didn't want to see any of us trying to pull off what we aren't able to do, what we aren't putting in the hours and the discipline to do. Maybe you want to be a good musician, but do you really need to be yoked with the expectations of Yo-Yo Ma or others? Um, as I think about my desire with the New Year's resolutions, I want to look at the people who are successful in my life, the people around me, um, and there's something good about that. There's something healthy about accountability groups and aspiring to follow other, what others are doing. But Jesus understands that this does make life difficult. It's like adding to our burden. It becomes a weight heavy that we carry around. Um, as I think about these things that we've added, um, what if instead of adding things to our life, we instead used kind of like the keeper of the stream, we took out things. We cleared away the things that are cluttering and muddying the water so that we could be yoked with Jesus and live a life with a light burden. What if, as the old saying goes, less really is? more this year. So Jesus says something about the soul. Um, he says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And as I read the opening story about the stream being your soul, I don't know about you, but I still have a little bit of a struggle grasping what a soul is. Music can have soul, but Jesus seems to be saying that when we come and we we find this rest. It's something for us. It's something in us. It's something about us. Um, 
as I read from Dallas Willard, he was a philosophy teacher at USC, um, and is probably one of the most influential Christian thinkers of the past 50 years in many ways, in many circles. Uh, And he said that you are an unending spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. There we go. There I am. Um, And so as I think about um, this phrase, about eternity, about unending, about spiritual, um, maybe you were like me and you had this image of a soul that was kind of similar to All Dogs Go to Heaven. Does anybody know that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Okay. So it was a cartoon, and the dogs kind of had this on earth, heaven, hell experience, and it's very kind of weird. Um, but when the dogs would die, it was like these, these other versions of them, kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi in Empire Strikes Back. I might be stretching the movie analogies here. But they're kind of these walking, ghostly-looking things, and they would float, but they looked similar. They just were kind of ghostly-looking. And then they would float up to the sky. And uh, we were very happy that all the dogs went to heaven, except for the bad ones. Um, But what Dallas Willard and some of these other teachers have helped me kind of grow in my understanding um, is that I'm not two separate entities. There's not this spirit version of myself and this physical version of myself. My body and my soul are much more connected than I used to think. Um, When I was a teenager, I used to sleepwalk fairly regularly. So far, Janelle hasn't found me sleepwalking, or at least she hasn't told me about it yet. Um, But my brother found me one day holding a comforter and saying, I need to start my trick. I need to start my trick. And we were playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater uh, on the Xbox. And so if you understand video games, you had to start the trick before the timer ran out. Otherwise, you lost all your points. And I was trying to... I was playing that game in my mind, I guess. Um, But another time was a little creepier. My brother found me, and my eyes were rolled back, and I was just walking around. And uh, he found my parents because he was freaked out. And by that time, I had walked all the way down two two stairwells and was holding my blanket again. I guess I really liked that blanket. But we were laughing about this story, and I, I don't... This is the true story that actually happened. I... I was telling this story about walking and sleepwalking and, uh, to a friend, and his mom like, stopped us really fast, and she was very serious, and she said, don't ever wake him up when he's sleepwalking. His spirit is not with his body. Okay, I don't still know what she was talking about exactly, but that's really, that is a very vivid thing that a lot of people believe that your spirit and your body are separate entities. And I want, to ch- I want to challenge that a little bit, maybe help you think a little bit differently about that, using something that Dallas Willard um, kind of wrote on a napkin for someone. So if you're interested in this soul-keeping stuff, um, there's a book with that term, soul-keeping, the title, soul-keeping, by John Ortberg. And in it, he captures some of Dallas Willard's teaching. He was a close friend of Dallas. Um, and, uh, and so I'd just love to share with you um, kind of my synopsis of how he helped us understand this. So you're not going to learn this in, in high school bio, but, um, but this is the anatomy of a person, okay? Um, the inmost circle, Dallas Willard would say, is your human will, your capacity to choose. You can say yes, and you can say no. Um, in many ways, Dallas said, this is what makes us a person and not a thing, right? We have choice. Um, the will is very good at making simple and really large commitments, 
like getting married or moving to a different place. But it's really hard and kind of bad at overriding habits and patterns. So you think about binge eating or binge watching. Uh, Your will, you might will to not do those things, but it's pretty hard to do it. You're actually going to exhaust yourself and everyone around you if you try and change um, some of those habits with just willpower. So now if you remember the stream, as we're talking about the stream, um, the stream, the will is like that spring, the beginning of the stream, if you will. So this is the the starting place, the source of the stream. Um, It's where the stream gets its flow and flavor and taste. So the next part of you uh, is the mind. Now, in ancient times, when they would talk about the mind, kind of the times when the Bible was written and those kind of things, um, the mind actually was not just up here. It was actually your emotions and your consciousness. So it was kind of the seat of your feelings and every way that you're conscious of things around you. And the Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans when he says the mind or the seed of the consciousness and feelings of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So again, in the analogy of the stream, if the will is the source, the spring of the stream, the mind is like the meandering flow of the stream. As your emotions and your feelings zigzag around in life, your stream cuts its pathway. And if you've ever hiked around a stream, you know that it cuts its way and weaves its way um, around. So the third part of your anatomy is your body. Um, I love how Dallas Willard talks about the body. It's like your little kingdom, the one place in all of the universe where your will gets to be in charge, right? Um, And imagine, this is Dallas Willard saying this, imagine for a moment you had a will and a mind with no body. Okay, I'm not exactly sure how to imagine that, but our bodies are like the little power packs that keep the mind and the will going, right? Uh, we, couldn't use, we couldn't be us without our bodies. Um, they're filled with all kinds of appetites and all kinds of habits. In a way, we outsource behaviors to our body. Think about things like tying your shoelaces or driving a car. You outsource those so that your wills and minds don't have to worry about them. You don't consciously make a choice to turn the blinker on all the time or to steer the car just a little bit to get back into the lines. You've outsourced that. Um, Continuing with the stream analogy, uh, imagine that your body is like the depth of the stream. So is your stream just a little puddle, or does it have depth? Is it robust? Is it flowing deep and fast um, with a strong current? Okay, and then the last part of your body, or of your uh, anatomy, is uh, a soul. So Dallas says that I'm not just the stuff my body is made of. The soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. It's something like a program on a computer that runs, and you don't really necessarily know that it's there unless it messes up, right? If it glitches, you really know that the computer program, that software, is not working. So the soul is what seeks harmony and connection, Um, And as I've said, integration, it integrates your whole self. So um, as you think about the stream, um, the soul is the stream and it's working all together as it's combining all of these aspects, a healthy spring, a healthy um, flow to it and a healthy deep uh, amount of water, of depth. It works itself through a place bringing life to vegetation 
um, to wildlife and in the story to a village. A healthy soul like a healthy stream is a blessing, but an unhealthy soul like a poisonous stream can bring death. As I think about the soul, I love the movie Star Wars. So Return of the Jedi, you get a lot of Star Wars today. Luke Skywalker sends his two droids, C-3PO and R2-D2, ahead to Jabba the Hutt. So if you're familiar with the scene, they're going there to Jabba's palace, and C-3PO has an encounter with a sorting droid. This sorting droid is giving jobs to different people, and he's like, you're an interpreter. Okay, that's really good. The last interpreter, according to this um, droid, was disintegrated, okay? And after the droid says this, you look over the camera pans, and you see this other droid just, like, exploding, and his arms are flying off and everything like that. Uh, So each of us wear these different hats in life. You might be a spouse, a parent, a child, a sibling, a coworker, a student, an employee, an employer, boss, supervisor, manager, athlete, musician, gamer, friend. Whatever your hats are, our life is often disintegrated, pulled apart by the various hats we wear. I was studying adolescent development, and one of the researchers pointed out that there's in teens to survive, to kind of cope with all the expectations that life puts on them, whether it's teachers at school, parents at home, churches, um, their friend groups. They create multiple selves to cope with all those different expectations. So they're one person with their friends, one person with their parents. And so the fallacy is that when we grow up, when we graduate high school and we go off, um, that we grow out of this coping mechanism, this self-preservation habit. But the reality is I think we just get better at hiding it, right? We just get better at masking all the sparks from our disintegration. And the village in the story suffered because the stream disintegrated. It stopped being healthy the way it was supposed to be. And I believe we suffer when our lives are disintegrated. The soul allows people of integrity, uh, allows us to be people of integrity by avoiding that disintegration. Um, If you remember high school, there was the second law of thermodynamics, and it tells us that all systems spiral out of control into entropy. Basically, they're um, in a constant state of deteriorating. And this is why we have to have maintenance on our cars. This is why we have to have maintenance on our relationships. In many ways, this is why we have to clear the stream. Um, So when Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls, I want to pose the question that maybe perhaps this year, rather than adding to your plate and making your burden heavier, what if this year instead we cleared the stream so that you can walk in step with Jesus, whose yoke is easy and burden is light. Um, So I know it's going to seem like I'm giving you four things to add to your New Year's resolutions. I'm going to resist, hopefully, that a little bit. But I'm going to offer you four thoughts on clearing the stream, okay? Four thoughts on maybe removing some of the clutter and burden so that you can yoke yourself with Jesus, who is going to make your burden light. Um, And there's one for each, one for will, mind, body, and soul. Um, So as keeper of our souls, we need to maintain and clear that stream. I think about the will, uh, the spring of the soul, right? I believe the most important clearing we can do is to choose Christ, okay? So remember, the will is the seat of choice. 
Um, and so I want you to choose Christ this year. Now, that might mean that if you haven't been baptized, that this year you choose to be baptized. You choose to com- make a commitment to Christ. Um, and if you don't know about baptism or you're curious more about it after today, I'd love to talk with you right after services or find me or Brian in the coming weeks, and we'd love to, to study with you about what this commitment, what it would look like to choose Christ. But every day, even if you've been baptized, you've been given a conscious choice to live for Jesus, um, to say we trust in him. Much like a husband or a wife says, I do, at the wedding ceremony, we vow to be committed to Christ every day, in sickness or in health, for better or for poorer. And if you've, um, if you've been baptized, then you might be thinking about um, how are you presented with that choice every day? Do the people around you know that you're a Christian? Do they know where your allegiances lie? Um, I once heard, and I think this is slightly harsh, so I'll soften it a little bit. I heard that you can find out whose God or the thing they value most is in 30 seconds of talking to someone. So that means that every time you have a conversation today, the last 30 seconds, you're encountering someone and you're hearing what they value most. Now, I think it probably should be more like five minutes because I'm pretty good at just kind of being polite for about 30 seconds. So in five minutes, if you have a meaningful conversation with me, you will find out what I value most is. And I wonder if to clear that spring, to make it so that when people actually encounter me, they encounter Jesus too. They taste Jesus in my stream, in my soul. I wonder if we need to be more close to the source. If we need to be present with Jesus more. And so I, this really feels like a New Year's resolution one. But I really think that one of the things to be helpful would be to be here more, to be at church more. Uh, Statistics are telling us that the average church member who's committed to a church is in attendance only twice a month, two Sundays out of four. So I just wonder, what would it look like for you to just say, I'm going to be here three Sundays out of four. I'm going to choose to be for Christ. I'm going to choose to be at church, to clear away the things that are blocking my schedule so that I can be at the source so that when people encounter me, they encounter Christ more. Um, Every year, my aunt and uncle go camping. It's more like glamping now, but um, they've been doing it for 40 plus years along the Deschutes River in Oregon. And uh, fishing has dried up pretty badly where basically they don't catch any fish anymore. But one year, I was like really wanting to go all out when I was there for a week. And so I spent eight hours a day hiking up and down the river trying to find and catch fish. I think I caught one fish in like 40 hours of fishing. Um, And uh, and that's not very good. The the limit was two per day. Um, So I should have been at least catching two per day, but I, I wasn't catching anything. But all the time uh, that I spent wasn't just casting the line out. It was actually meandering and following the river because it cut its way in like really stupid ways, sometimes almost double backing on itself. And it made it much harder to walk because I didn't want to ford through the stream. It was much colder that way. And um, the fish like to hide in certain banks and I was not a very experienced fisherman, so I probably walked right by them. But I wonder, and I, I remember this being vivid about the fishing experience, is that 
as you're walking, as you're spending time, you have to be really conscious about what's going around you. And fishing is really boring in many ways, so you end up spending a lot of time thinking, right? Instead of watching TV or driving in cars, sitting in traffic, which doesn't help us to think as well. So I wonder if when we think about the mind being your ability and uh, your ability to be conscious of the world around you and be in touch with your feelings, um, that I think is the meandering, the flow of your soul. So it may seem weird, but I want to suggest breathing as the as the way to clear your stream. Um, I was reading an article just the other day that they've done um, some science experiments on rats. And they figured out that if they messed with the breathing, if they made them deep breathe and do some deep breathing exercises, when they moved them from cages to other cages, usually that's a very traumatic experience because they put them in a new cage and they have this new environment and they get very anxious, their heart rates go up and they scurry around the cage. And this uh, science experiment found out that as they manipulated and helped the rats do this deep breathing exercise, they, in fact, were much calmer when they moved to the new environment. Now, they've done some other experiments to prove it, and I think they're working on uh, making it more involved in human um, and more in touch with what's going on there. But there's a lot of people that have, have said for many, many years that if you take some deep breaths, it can immediately calm the situation and calm your anxiety. In fact, yoga exercises and other uh, forms of mindfulness um, are ways that people who are successful, deal with high-stress situations. And so I, I want to encourage you, maybe it's a yoga experience, maybe it's an app like Calm, uh, maybe it's some sort of other way that you find to use, um, but add deep breathing to your day. Um, you might only be able to find a time once a week to do it, but just practicing some deep breaths can be incredibly helpful. Many prayer practices in court incorporate breathing as well. I'll I'll mention three just for you to to be aware of. The prayer of of examine, it's called, uh, by St. Ignatius. Um, It's meant to be done at like the end of a day or a week or a year to review that year or that week or that day. Um, I I like to practice it uh, because it incorporates several things. It incorporates thanksgiving, uh, noticing my feelings, both positive and negative, and then speaking to the Lord about those feelings as well as looking forward to the day ahead. All of it is meant to be done slowly, deeply breathing. Um, I can suggest some audio versions that lead you through that prayer of examine if you are interested. Um, The other one was a prayer uh, that's called the breath prayer, and you can can make this your own. Uh, It uses a word or phrase that you say as you inhale, and then another word or phrase that you say as you exhale. So an example that has been helpful for me is to pray, I am here, and you are here, as I recognize the presence of God with me. Um, And I usually encourage you to say it audibly, but if you uh, are in like a coffee shop, that might be a little bit weird, or an airport terminal. You don't want to look like a crazy person talking to yourself, so you can do it quietly in your head, but it's helpful sometimes to audibly breathe out loud in and out and say those phrases. Um, Another one you can combine maybe if you have daily Bible reading on your to-do list, um, maybe pair that back to just a psalm every day. And you could practice reading a psalm, um, doing it this way. You could 
kill two birds with one stone, or as Peter would like us to say now, feed two birds with one scone, um, by incorporating deep breathing. Okay, I'll, I'll demonstrate this one for you. Um, we'll just do the first couple lines of Psalm uh, 42. So you might um, practice by inhaling, and then say the psalm as you deep breathe out. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So I, I find it interesting um, that as we think about the flow of our stream, it's really about creating space to be in touch and to be conscious about our feelings, which helps us um, to be in touch with those around us. Instead of being reactive to the chaos around us and chaotic, we're able to know ourselves and others and be in touch with what's going around so we can be calm and present. And that's, that's why breathing um, can help us reduce the clutter in our stream. Um, as Dallas Willard called our body the power pack, um, to gain depth in our stream so that it's not just a shallow puddle, uh, I'm going to say that we need... Um, to unplug from technology, and I'm going to use this term techno-sabbath um, so that we can recharge our body. So I'm, I'm going to say we need to unplug in order to recharge, okay? Um, so Andy Crouch wrote in a book called TechWise Family that I highly recommend, even if you're uh, a single adult, it's really, really helpful. Um, it uses a lot of examples from their family with their kids um, that he and his wife adopted as they were raising their family, but uh, a lot of them have to do with just setting aside things like having an analog, uh, regular alarm clock instead of using your phone, um, charging your phone in the kitchen instead of having it by your bedside. There's some really practical tips in the book for any person who wants to um, kind of reorient the way that technology is in our life. So in that book, they recommended that as their family, they set aside one hour a day, one, week, uh, one day a week, and one week a year where anything with an on-off switch uh, was turned off. This even meant that they had dinner with a candle instead of, uh, and turned off the lights in their house. Now, I'm not advocating that you go this hardcore, um, but I think there's one thing to think about. As I, I found it, Janelle and I could plan a day if we did it once a month. We could pick a day. It didn't have to be the same day every month, but we could pick that day and we could plan it, how it was going to go. And the main thing that we did was we turned off the cell phone. Uh, that was the key item. And then we didn't sit and watch TV. So um, for you, it might look more or less like going for a walk outside. It might mean that you just choose not to watch that one TV show or movie tonight and play a board game instead. Um, whatever it looks like for you, just to get one day a month unplugged so that you can recharge your body. Um, I, I wonder if for us, 
if the key thing would be to get away from things like our work, uh, work phones would be helpful. It might even mean that um, you say no to social media. Brian's a big advocate of taking Facebook off your phone just so that you have to go to your computer or your iPad to look at the news feed instead of being able to just scroll through it while you're standing in the grocery line uh, or listening to your friend talk across the table. Um, Whatever it looks like for you to unplug in some way on an occasion regularly uh, so that you can recharge. Research has been showing that Vegging out, as I like to call it, when we're watching TVs or even using our cell phones, um, that it's not like a lot of doctors will tell you, don't look at your phone like this because it's bad for your neck. That's very true. Um, It's not only bad for your posture uh, to sit kind of awkwardly on that couch or look at your phone in an awkward way, but it's actually not good for your eyes. Um, It's tricking your eyes and not actually allowing your body to rest. And so at the same time um, that I'm looking at my phone and watching the Great British Baking Show, um, the light and the movement of the screens is, is making it so I can't actually rest. It feels good. It feels like rest, but it's just leisure. It's just kind of something I'm doing. It's still an active thing. It's still requiring something from my body. It's not rest. So I think to have deep, robust souls so that we're not just kind of shallow people walking around like zombies, um, we need to unplug from tech. Uh, So the final circle, right, was the soul, uh, the final part of that. It's what integrates them all together. And as I think about God's vision for your life, it has a purpose. It's not just meaningless. Um, And so if the whole stream, this whole thing of will, mind, and body is your soul, then the the last practice really is about... um, how to live out that purpose. It's an upkeep for living out on purpose. Um, The village, right in the story, relied on the stream. And when it was healthy, uh, it was a blessing. So this fourth practice for keeping your stream, um, I'm going to call blessing. So in in the book of Genesis, we read about God blessing the people. And the examples are of God blessing people, empowering them um, to have children, empowering them to have wealth. And, and the idea was um, about this empowerment from God for an abundant life. So the idea is to have a healthy soul, and out of that healthy soul, that stream, to empower others for abundant living. Um, if you read on in the Bible, in Leviticus, uh, and uh, then in Numbers, uh, God gives Moses a special blessing to give to priests. So these priests were Aaron and his sons, And they were to speak these blessings or these um, phrases over the people of Israel. And it went like this. uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And so in Numbers chapter 6, we read that God told Moses that the priests were to say this over the people. And by doing so, uh, that they would place the name of the Lord on them, and God would bless the people because his name was on them. Uh, So you may be saying, yeah, okay, priests and pastors, really holy people, they can do this blessing thing, right? Um, But actually in Jesus, we're all priests. Here's how the apostle Peter put it. He said, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So today, I don't want you coming up to me afterwards and giving me any excuses. Well, it's, it's okay for you to bless people, right? But it's not for me, I'm not a pastor. No, that's not true. In Jesus, we're all the same. There's nobody more important than anybody else. Just because I'm up here with the microphone doesn't make me any more able to bless other people. No one is more holy. We're all priests together. We've all received the same mercy. And I think that we're all called then to bless the people around us, to place the name of the Lord on them, that God might empower them for abundant living. Uh, I used to be pretty weirded out by that whole experience of blessing, um, and, uh, and so I'm okay if you are too. I understand that. Um, I had an experience where a friend of ours whose dad was a pastor uh, stopped us as we were getting ready to get on the motorhome and drive away after a visit with them. And he held out his hand, and he just simply started, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. And he prayed for our traveling mercies. And that moment stuck with me, you know, because he didn't need to be prompted to bless. It was just a lifelong obsession of his. To live a life of integrity is, I believe, to empower others for abundant living. So as people encounter your soul, the spring of it, the flow of it, the depth, is that a blessing for them? Does it empower them? Are you placing the name of the Lord on them? For Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus says, come, take his yoke, find rest for your souls. So again, I say, what if instead of adding things, even good Christian things, to your life this year, what if we spent time clearing away the stream of our soul? so that we could be yoked with Jesus, so that we could walk and step with him and carry a lighter burden as we live. So again, what if less really is more? I came across this quote by uh, Oswald Chambers, who wrote a classic work, My Utmost for His Highest, in 1935. I thought this was really unique as he pushes back against our, our need almost to make time with God, a habit. He says, your God may be your little Christian habit, the habit of prayer at stated times or the habit of Bible reading. Watch how your father will upset those times if you begin to worship your habit instead of what the habit symbolizes. I can't do that just now. I'm praying. It is my hour with God, 
No, it is your hour with your habit. There is a quality that is lacking in you. Recognize the defect and look out for the opportunity of exercising yourself along the line of quality to be added. Love means that there is no habit visible. You have come to the place where the habit is lost, and by practice you do the thing unconsciously. If you are consciously holy, there are certain things you imagine you cannot do, certain relationships in which you are far from simple. That means that there is something to be added. The only supernatural life is the life the Lord Jesus lived, and he was at home with God anywhere. Is there anywhere where you are not at home with God? Let God press through in that particular circumstance until you gain him, and life becomes the simple life of a child. So we return to Jesus' prayer, where he says, I praise you, Father, because you have revealed them to little children. Living the whole life God has envisioned for you is a simple life of a child, walking in step with Jesus, dependent upon your loving parent, whom Jesus teaches us to call Abba, Father. And our burdens are lifted by the Holy Spirit. So friends, today less really is more. May we come to find Jesus and find rest for our souls this new year. I'm going to invite Jim to come up and lead us in communion. And uh, as we do that, I just want to say one of my favorite blessings, and then I'm going to hand it over to him. Um, this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter, thir- uh, chapter, oh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I was like, 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't sound right. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, and it's the way that Paul ends the letter. And he uses... Um, the Trinity, what we know of as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, He didn't call it Trinity, but he uses that language. And as he does that, he's, he's calling us to understand God in the way that God reveals himself to us in his very, very ways. Um, So this is my adaptation of this blessing. So may you receive it this morning. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the companionship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.